This audio program is a ministry of Clear Note Fellowship. For more information, go to clearnotefellowship.org. So, the subtitle of this conference is Confessing Christ in the Public Square. And so, much of this, the content of this conference has been devoted, of course, to precisely that. What does it mean to be a public Christian? How are we Christians supposed to speak and act when the whole world is watching us? The battle over culture and souls is very public, and how are we as Christians supposed to strategize and think about that? And of course, all these questions are very important, and we need to consider all of them carefully. Um, But that's not exactly what I'm going to be focusing on in this talk. Instead, for this hour, I'm going to bring it much more closer to home. And of course, we're still talking about being public Christians here, but not in the sense, in in a very large sense, but in a smaller sense, in a on-my-block sense. And... So I'd like to begin today with a couple stories. Um, The first one happened earlier this summer. Uh, Hannah and I were on a walk in our neighborhood with our four children. And um, we were just literally down the street a little ways. And all of a sudden, we were just crossing in front of somebody's house. So I was like literally walking on their driveway when I heard screaming from inside the house. And uh, shortly after that, you know, an instant later, a woman carrying an infant ran out of the house and I saw a hand tug on the woman's hair as she ran out of the house. Um, And a man followed her closely behind. And when he saw us, he immediately froze and then went back into the house, but she stayed outside. And so, of course, you have to imagine the scene, right? I'm standing there with four small children and my wife, and I had no idea what to do. I don't know what you would have done in that situation. Um, Now, I'll say that I'm not particularly proud of my initial response, because my initial response was to, you know, it it was interesting because her, what she was saying, she was obviously terrified, very shaken up, and she was saying, sorry, 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 you know, I didn't want you to see this. And so I was saying, you know, no, you don't need to be sorry. But my initial response was actually to keep walking. Now, why would I do that? Um, Well, I don't know what's going on. You know, I was on a walk. This is what I was doing. I'm the kind of guy that just keeps doing what I'm doing. Um, And thankfully, my wife's not like that. And she immediately, uh, you know, realized that we needed to do something. And so uh, she went over, and we we happened to be very close to the, uh, just down the street also is the the Moyers live just down the street from us. And so we were close to their house. And so Hannah uh, and this lady ducked into the Moyers' house, and she started talking to, to them. And I called 911. And so um, the man eventually came out of the house and was gone by the time the police showed up. So I, you know, 
had to give a report and we spent quite a bit of time that evening with the woman and this young infant of hers and she the, the lady stayed at um, at uh, the Moyers house that evening and the man never returned that evening and so that happened on a Thursday and, and the woman went uh, out of town for the rest of the weekend to be with her family and to just get some distance and so I spent some time on the phone with her um, really encouraged her to seek help there's alcohol involved which isn't probably surprising um, I was trying to exhort her look you know you can't just go back to things pretending like things are normal this isn't normal you need to you need to seek some help you need to get your your husband it wasn't actually her husband but her was the father of the child um, he needs help you know you can't just go back to normal um, so unfortunately I, I don't know if well I, I guess I don't know the end of the story uh, they still are down our street they're both living there again I haven't really talked to them since um, and so I don't know if any help was sought, uh, but it appears that everything is back to normal, if you will. Um, now, so I pose the question to you. Were Hannah and I salty in our neighborhood in that instance? Could I have been, could we have been saltier? Now hold that thought and I'll tell another story. Uh, pretty different than that one, quite much less dramatic. Um, Last winter, we decided to have a Christmas party, right? And so we worked with the Moyers again, since they lived down the street, and we planned it out, and we printed out invitations and uh, gathered our children together and went out on a one or two evenings and handed out little invitations to our neighbors. Um, of course, we met many of our neighbors just by doing that. We, uh, many people weren't home or said they couldn't come, and a few wouldn't even open the door, but all the same, we met a lot of people doing that. And when the day of the party finally came, we didn't have very high expectations that anyone would come. You know, we didn't really know what to expect, but we got a lot of no's, um, and so we just were thinking, well, maybe a couple people will show up, but, um, but it'll be small. And so we were very surprised to find out that uh, our living room ended up being packed you know people were standing because there wasn't enough places to sit um, and it was a wonderful time you know it was just very low-key we were able to meet our neighbors and uh, had a chance to get to know people and again I asked the question uh, and I think it's 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 a good question in contrast to the other story were we salty in that instance right Totally different situation, totally different kind of story, um, but I pose the same question, were we salty? Since then, uh, I've had a number of opportunities to talk to my elderly next door neighbor, or rather just across the street, uh, a gentleman by the name of Rex, a number of times. I've spoken with him a number of times, and uh, in fact one time I was walking out of the hospital uh, after visiting somebody and I just, he just was walking in. So I, got, I mean, I wouldn't have known who he was if we hadn't had a chance to just get to know each other a little bit. Uh, but we stood and talked for a little bit. So again, these situations are very different. The first story, the situation just kind of exploded in front of us, right? Very scary. 
uh, didn't know what to do, didn't know how to handle it. And in the other situation, it's all very planned, right? We, we made the invitations, we invited people to our house, so it's on our turf. Uh, very, very uh, well orchestrated event. Um, so the situations are very different, but I think uh, they, they illustrate two important points about being salt and light locally where you live. And, and I want to say by, uh, as an aside, when we talk about being salt and light locally, what I really mean is uh, physically present. You know, nowadays with Skype and internet chat and all this stuff, you can be local anywhere, right? And all those, the, I, I believe that the communication technology that we've been given today is a gift from God and can be used for very good purposes. Um, but it's not the same as being physically present with people. And so today I want, I want you to be thinking about, in particular, where you physically go. And so this means on your block, in your dorm, your apartment complex, your work, your school, where do you interact with people who are not Christians? Okay. So these two situations illustrate two very important points about being salt and light locally. First off, being salt and light is not like falling off a log. All right, it's not as easy as falling off a log. It re it requires intentionality. And second, uh, being salt and light requires you to notice things locally. Uh, Colossians 4, 5 and 6 is a passage that uh, Pastor Wilson brought up earlier today. And it says this, Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. So, being salt and light is not like falling off a log. What does that mean? Well, to begin with, it means that we must make the most of the opportunity. It means you must have initiative. The footnote in my Bible on that particular phrase in that verse uh, states that the literal translation of the phrase is to redeem the time. So you could read it as conduct yourself with wisdom toward outsiders, redeeming the time. So what does it mean to redeem the time? How do you do that and why do we need to do it? When we speak of Christ Jesus redeeming us, it means a number of things, right? It means He purchased us with His blood. We were, he saved us from a certain destruction. He transformed our hearts and is leading us in sanctification, transforming what was worthless into something that was valuable, that is valuable. So why do we need to redeem the time? We need to redeem the time because this world is headed for a baptism of fire, right? The time each of us is given is either preparing us to be with God for eternity or to separate, to be separate from Him in torment for eternity. We are not going to be here very long. We are merely a breath. Time is very short, and it will be wasted time unless we work by God's grace to redeem the time. And so that means taking initiative toward outsiders. Now, um, 
We recognize, I think, in reformed evangelical circles, Christian reformed evangelical circles, that our reformation, that a central part of the reformation of our culture and our church is a reformation of the family, right? Husbands and, and wives must be faithful to their vows, right? This is central. The hearts of fathers must be turned to their children. Uh, we believe, as mothers and fathers, we believe we're fulfilling the Great Commission in part by being faithful to have children and raise them up in the fear and admission of the Lord. These are all very important things, um, but it's not what I'm talking about today. We, like I said, we in Christian reform circles, we often agree about all those things. But what we often don't agree on, or what we miss regularly, I think, is that we have to actually be concerned about the people outside of our home. Um, and if, if you're tempted to feel overwhelmed by that, you know, it's uh, the, the, the faithless response to the commands of God is always feeling overwhelmed, which is to say being uh, uh, faithless or fearful that God will not provide for us, right? So if you're, if you're tempted to be fearful and afraid about uh, needing to think about other people outside your home because you think to yourself, well, I've got so much to care for in my home, let me just exhort you and say that you will not be caring for your home if you don't have a care for the people outside of your home. Does that make sense? The two things are not... Uh, they're like, they, they always go together. The people that, that are concerned for the poor are the people that are concerned for the, the children in their own home. You know, these things go together. So anyway, um, if we're going to be salt and light, we have to actually be concerned about the people outside of our own homes. We must be willing to think about and pray for our neighbors, even the ones we haven't met. And we must think about how to create opportunities to interact with our neighbors. We're not going to be salt and light among people we don't know, right? This is just a really basic, it's very obvious. Um, and so because it's so obvious, it bears repeating, right? You're not going to be salt and light among people you don't know. Um, so you have to get to know your neighbors, and that means most likely that you, as a Christian, will need to take it upon yourself to create opportunities to get to know your neighbors. You know, we live in a very strange time where, you know, uh, Hannah and I, as I mentioned earlier, we like to take walks occasionally um, with the family after dinner, and I highly recommend the practice. But it's just astonishing to me that I live in a neighborhood with many, many people, and as we walk around, it's rare that we'll see people, right? It's amazing. Um, and it's, it's, I think, Television has a lot to do with that, right? Everyone turns on the television when they get home. Um, but in general, I think that uh, it's probably a testimony to the, um, the lack of Christian faith in our culture that we don't interact with each other on a more regular basis, right? That we just drive into the garage and close the garage and we don't even come out until it's time to, time to go to work the next morning. And so, um, if you think about where in our culture we have opportunity to actually meet and greet other people, it's pretty rare, right? 
it's hard to it's hard to think of. So I don't know. I, I'd be curious to hear what you guys think. Uh, I, I thought of a few things. Obviously, church, right? But that's sort of beside the point, right? Because uh, that's where you're going to get fellowship, and you're not going to do the same kind of evangelism anyway. Um, kids, of course, are a big opportunity um, to meet and greet other people. Uh, and I just want to say, anecdotally, um, I remember being... Uh, I have cousins in Savannah, Georgia, and whenever we came back to the U.S. in the summers, my family would go and see them at their house. And I remember that kids all over the place would just come to that house. That was like the house that was Grand Central Station for all the goings-on in the neighborhood. Um, and so I, you know, kids' school, kids' friends, kids' sports. Sports are enormous nowadays. Um, and kids' music. Now, I'm not, I'm not necessarily advocating all these things. I'm just trying to think of every place where we actually even have opportunity to interact with other people. And this is what I came up with. You know, another one is entertainment, right? So aside from kids, there's entertainment. We go to the movie theaters. Uh, even that's dying, though, right? Because you can get bigger and bigger televisions. Um, and so what else can you guys think of? I'm, I'd be curious to hear. What, what other opportunities do people have to actually interact with other people, specifically not Christians? Go ahead. We uh, decided to celebrate Halloween a couple years in a row because it's the only day out of the year when people come back on your door and say hi. Yeah, that's a good thought. Well, and it's, I mean, there's a whole lot of uh, irony wrapped up in that, right? <laughs> yeah, man. Neighborhood associations. Okay. Yeah, but it's like, how many of you are part of your neighborhood association? I'd be delighted if some of you were. Fantastic, great. <laughs> we, are, uh, we just have a new neighbor that moved in next door, and uh -huh. we're going to have a neighborhood. Um, Gym class? No, just a gathering. Okay. <laughs> you know, kind of a welcome to the neighborhood for them, but because the rest of the neighbors don't know each other very well. Yep, we yep. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's what uh, Hannah and I did with uh, the, our Christmas party, and you know that's that's really where I'm going. I think um, that it's going. I I think if we take these commands to be salt and light seriously, people are going to know the neighborhoods with Christians in them because the neighbors are going to know each other, right? And so we are going to be the ones to create opportunity to get to know our neighbors. And so that's, that's something you have to do. You've got to take initiative, and you have, to dis you have to create opportunities to get to know your neighbors and for the, or your neighbors to get to know each other. So it's not like falling off a log. You have to think about it and actually plan for it. Um, oh, another just example that I think of is uh, the Sparks. You know, the Sparks are in my small group. And for years and years, they were involved in all kinds of things with their kids at school and in Boy Scouts. Dan Sparks, every summer and every few months, I think it was, would go out on camping trips with Boy Scouts. Uh, this is great, great opportunity. Now, Boy Scouts, again, this is an example of an institution that's is fallen on hard times, to put it mildly, to use a euphemism. Um, and this is where Christians must step in and fill the void. 
So it's not like falling off a log. You have to take initiative. You have to create opportunities to get to know your neighbors. Hey, Lucas. Yes. One way would be um, like yard when you have yard sales. Okay. Like I've been to one at your house maybe. Or yeah, yeah. You can talk to everybody. They come up. You know. Yeah, that's a good point. Just find things to sell. I think uh, Mary Lee's got lots of things to sell. <laughs> I'm going to go to your house and grab some things. You can go to other people's yards and buy their stuff. Oh, yeah, there we go. <laughs> yes. Uh, a couple years ago, my parents built a porch on their house. Uh -huh. Their house didn't have one. But uh -huh. now they sit out there. Yeah. People are out all the time walking or uh -huh. their dogs or running. And they that's how they've actually met a lot of people. And, and they have to be and say, you know, like, come and sit with us. Hey! Yeah. And my dad usually say, come try out our awesome rocking chair. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah, and they've they met a lot of people that way. Uh-huh. You go to the farmer's market. Okay. Every Saturday. Yeah, there you go. And usually we don't, we don't buy anything but honey sticks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we'll make a loop like once or twice, and we usually end up talking to people, running into people. Um, and then the, the other one I thought of, besides going to the park with kids and talking to the moms there, but mm -hmm. going to the grocery store and trying to look for the same cashier. Oh, yeah. Going to the same person, a couple of people. So. Cool. Yeah. Very good ideas. Um, so my second major point, baseline uh, about being neighborly, is that you have to take notice. And... You, you've got to notice what's going on around you. So it's not enough to simply be neighborly. Some of these ideas that we've, we've had, you know, for instance, Hannah and I throwing a Christmas party, that's, that's nice, you know, it's nice. It, it gets your foot in the door, but I, you know, we can't stop there, right? It's not enough to simply be neighborly and take cookies over or something like that. That's good, but that can't be that's not the end goal, to just simply have a friendly neighborhood, right? And um, indeed, a characteristic of salt is that it changes the food you put it on, right? As Jesus said, salt that has lost its saltiness is not worth anything. It's just simply uh, contemptible. You just walk all over it. And so um, bringing it back to my first story, it would have been a complete failure for me if, if, and for my family if we had simply continued to walk on without engaging the situation after witnessing that domestic dispute. What in the world is the point of being a Christian if you're not willing to notice what's going on around you and to speak God's truth into people's lives? And so um, bringing it back to uh, the, the passage in Colossians, Colossians 4, it says, conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders. Those who are wise see what is going on around them. If you see a house that is completely broken down and ramshackle in your neighborhood, what do you know about the people living in it? Now, it's, it's possible that maybe it's an older woman or something like that who's not able to, who doesn't have family. but. Even in that case, you know that it's somebody likely who needs help, needs uh, someone to be around, someone to talk to, someone to be a friend to. Um, but it could also mean that, uh, you know, if there is a man and a family in the house, that there's serious problems, right? 
uh, Tim Bailey often likes to say that the condition of the outside of the house is very indicative of what's going on inside of the house, and that's true. Um, if you see, if you notice, and I remember distinctly uh, in one of our walks, uh, a house just like this, the house is ramshackle, and we walk by and there's a couple kids, pretty young kids, you know, they, they look completely unkept, there's not an adult anywhere, and you just sort of think, okay, what's, what's going on there? Um, if, if you're not willing to see what's happening, then you're just foolish, right? We, we're not to be foolish, but to be wise. Uh, Proverbs is filled with this exhortation, of course. And it says, for instance, in Proverbs 14, a wise man is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is arrogant and careless. Are you careless about your neighborhood? Um, or do you actually pay attention to what's happening around you? Um, in Ecclesiastes 2, it says, the wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. All right? Very apt. And so, um, Additionally, um, when I say notice things around you, uh, I'm not talking about Supreme Court decisions, right? We think many Christians, especially in reform circles, uh, are very eager to talk about Supreme Court decisions. And I won't take anything away from that. It's actually, it is very important for us to think about the government and what's happening in Washington, D.C., and to be well-informed and uh, godly in our response to it. But what a waste if we're aware of recent Supreme Court decisions that are violation of this or that part of the Constitution, when we're not aware of what's happening on our very neighborhood, and we don't have our eyes open to the sin that's very close to home. It is, I, I believe, again, Christians not being salty, right? It's, it's no good noticing Washington, D.C. if you're not willing to see what's happening on your very street. Now, again, to take it a step further, it's not enough even to notice things. That's just getting our foot in the door. Christians must speak. Our passage, again from Colossians, says that we must let your speech always be with grace. Let your speech always be with grace. That assumes, of course, that you will speak. Now, I cannot emphasize this point enough, right? I, I, and it was really driven home to me, especially in, uh, I'll say it to my shame, but years ago I, I did protest regularly at the abortion clinic. I don't do it regularly now, very rarely. Um, but I remember realizing distinctly, you know, as long as we keep our mouths shut, they don't mind so much. You know, well, they're happy for us to have convictions or whatever, as long as you keep your mouth shut. And so Christians must speak. And we have to be uh, students, you know, we are students of the book, and so we care about words, and we have to be careful, we have to be, um, not just, careful is not the right word, but wise in regards to words. Um, we often talk in a way that relativizes what we are trying to say. So for instance, if you're having a conversation with someone about abortion or about something like it, that's a hot button topic, homosexuality, um, 
you can talk about it in such a way that completely eviscerates it of any uh, proclamation. You can say things like, well, I believe that abortion is wrong. Of course you believe that abortion is wrong. You just, you know, you're saying it. That's what you're saying. But what you, what you need to say is God says that abortion is wrong, right? Abortion is wrong. That's another way to put it. Um, not, it's not your opinion. It is truth. And so we have it very deeply ingrained in us uh, to be relativistic in the way that we talk. So as we speak, that's the first point, we have to speak, first of all. But as we speak, we have to be, even, we have to be careful to make sure that we're proclaiming God's truth as God's truth. Not my opinion, this is God's truth. Now, um, salt and light. Uh, Pastor Wilson brought up the passage uh, in Matthew 5, which is um, kind of the touchstone for this whole conference, and I don't mind repeating it. Um, where This is verses 13 to 16. Jesus says this, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So, again, no harm in repeating myself. What do you do with salt? You put it on food to flavor things, right? And salt that doesn't make your food tasty uh, is, uh, is like a Christian who doesn't speak, right? It's worthless. It's like putting a lamp under a basket. It's an awful, terrible waste. So, just real briefly, you've heard this before. What are the characteristics of salt? that make it such a unique, enduring metaphor for us. All right, what are they? Preservative. Okay, preservative. Whereas yeast and leaven produce change and degradation, right? It breaks sugars down and so forth. Salt preserves things. And you can set, let salt sit there for years, and it's not going to break down or change its fundamental nature. And it's been used, I mean, it's a universal symbol. Um, you know, Lot's wife was turned into a pillar of salt. That's a dramatic, scary judgment that we read of in the Old Testament. But it's a testimony to the longevity of that curse, right? If you look back, you will be cursed. Um, and so, so that's... You know, a metaphor, if you will, of, of salt. Um, it's also, you could talk about in, in terms of preservation, there's not just the preservation of the curse, in a sense, in, in regards to Lot's wife, but we speak of God's preservation of his people, by, for, of a people for himself by his son, right? Um, so there's pr uh, preservative. What else? Flavor. Exactly. Seasoning, right? You're, you're sitting, and so salt is used uh, when you're sitting down with, uh, for a meal with friends, right? And so um, Pastor Wilson read some of these passages from Leviticus 
uh, where God commanded the Israelites to use salt in their offerings. The salt of the covenant. The salt, the testimony of God's friendship with His people. Right? They are communing together. And so salt is uh, a seasoning that you use for food as a sign of friendship. Um, now, uh, in his plenary session yesterday, Pastor Wilson brought up the reason why Christianity and liberty go so very well together, and it's because we are a forgiven people, right? There is a savor of Christians that is fundamentally different than that of the world. We have been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. We have been transferred from dark to light. And so it's important to note, um, referencing back again to Colossians 4, that it says, Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Speech that is seasoned with grace is fundamentally different. When you put it on food, the food doesn't taste the same, right? And so, um, so a, a central to this whole topic is that Christians are fundamentally different, need to be fundamentally different than the, the, their surrounding milieu, their surrounding context. Um, and if we're not different, we are worthless, right? We're worthless. So, um, I think it's not, uh, it's not accidental that Jesus preached what he did immediately pre prior to this Matthew uh, 5.13 passage. What comes right before this section on salt and light? Do you know? Anybody know? Matthew 5. Go ahead. Beatitudes, like it's, it's Beatitudes, exactly. Yep, yep, it's the Beatitudes. Now, Pastor Wilson today uh, had a sermon, and what was his main point? You were just there. Let's see if you remember. <laughs> be thankful, okay. Don't be envious, right? <laughs> Why is it important not to be envious? What does that have to do with salty and... Light, salt and light. Put you in competition. Okay. Yeah, make yourselves the envy of everybody else, right? Go ahead. Because if you're envious, that means you do not have the best thing in the world, or you do not realize you have the best thing in the world. Okay. That's very true. You just said be thankful, and that makes you a light and a crooked and perverse generation. That's right. It makes you. To be thankful. Exactly. It makes you different. Right? It makes you fundamentally different. And his point is, you can't, you're not going to change anything unless you're, you're set apart, called apart from the crooked and perverse generation. You can't uh, be the same as everybody else and hope to effect a different change. Um, it's like a former boss used to tell me, what is the definition of insanity? Yes, exactly. Apparently you've heard that way too many times. <laughs> but it's true. Um, and so my point is that uh, we have to be different. What Jesus is teaching us in the Beatitudes is uh, that precede uh, his teaching on being salt and light is you have to be different. 
You cannot expect good fruit to come from a bad tree and vice versa. And so I'm going to take some time now to go through the Beatitudes and, and we're going to meditate on them a little bit. Beginning in verse 1, it says, When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, poor in spirit means to be meek and lowly, humble, not proud or self-absorbed. You know, our world teaches, even the Christian world, even the Christian world in our country, um, oh man, there was a uh, book I saw on ChristianBook.com. Of course, it's easy to find uh, startlingly bad things on that website, but um, it was like it was serious. The title was seriously something like "How to Be Successful and Victorious Without Even Trying" or something like this. I just thought that's amazing, amazing. Um, but you know our. Our world is completely self-absorbed, and we teach that it's a positive good to be self-absorbed, to love yourself. You know, you're always told to love yourself. Um, you need to take care of yourself. You've got to do self-help and so forth. And as Pastor Wilson said earlier today, Christianity is a complete Copernican, Copernican, is that right? Uh, revolution, right? You weren't familiar? So Copernicus was the guy that realized that the sun is actually the center and not the earth. Everyone used to think that the, that everything, the sun revolved around the earth, but the, the truth is that we revolve around the sun, right? And so we think that everything revolves around us. The truth is everything revolves around Jesus Christ. And <clears throat> so blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Um, the, the world no longer revolves around you, and when you realize that, you'll start to be salty. Now two, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now those whose hearts are broken at sin will be comforted. And this gets back to uh, my point about noticing things, right? It's very easy to live glibly and carelessly in a world filled with terrible evil if you just make it a point not to notice them. But if you have a tender conscience, if God has given you that grace, and you're willing to notice things, you will mourn. And you, that mourning will begin with your own heart, right? You're not going to notice anything that you haven't already noticed in your own heart. <clears throat> and it'll cause you to mourn. We sang um, Psalm 10 earlier today, right? And it says, Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? This seeming indifference on the part of God to the wickedness around him grieves the psalmist. And are we similarly grieved at the wickedness, not only of the world around us, but our own heart? Uh, what God has promised is that those who mourn will be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. To be gentle is to be considerate, right? You have to think about the weakness of others. You, don't, you, you take care not to harm them. A gentle dentist, for instance, right, is careful not to cause unnecessary pain to his, the person he's working on. Uh, Titus 3.2 says that we're not to malign anyone, but to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. To be gentle is to be considerate. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now, what do we normally hunger and thirst for? What, what causes fights and quarrels among us? I'm going to pick on you, Gabe. What causes fights and quarrels among us? Was this not drilled in you by your dad? Bitterness, envy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you know the reference? Who can quote it? James. James. Can anyone quote it? Go ahead. That's right. That's right. What is um, uh, the, the thing that we... Uh, okay, sorry. We uh, were filled with a desire for uh, things that never satisfy, our lusts and our passions which are never satisfied. They will never be satisfied, but Jesus says that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied. And that's going to be salty, right? People who are satisfied, this is precisely what Pastor Wilson was preaching about earlier today. People who are satisfied are going to be very uh, enticing to people who are always wanting more, right? Like, whoa, that's weird. I've never seen that before. And so, again, that's going to cause us to be salty. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now, we're all born Pharisees, right? We're all Pharisees. We're eager to judge others and to show others no mercy. But God has given us grace upon grace, mercy upon mercy. We are a forgiven people. And it's it's because of that that we can forgive others. It's because of that that we can show mercy to others. And it's our privilege to do so. And um, it is very hard to forgive somebody else when you have been legitimately sinned against, right? I mean, I'm not talking about the made-up stuff. You know, if it, there's lots of that also. But when you know that you have been sinned against, it's very difficult to forgive, and it takes God's grace in our lives, and that, again, will be salty. Um, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, what does it mean to be pure in heart? In Psalm 24, it says, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, and who may stand in His holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully. So a, a, one, someone with a pure heart hates deceit and lies. You know, I think um, one of my primary objectives as a father is to make sure that there's not lying in my household. And that's very hard to do because it means I have to learn not to lie to myself, right? Because uh, that's where the lies begin. We lie to ourselves about our own sin. But, um, but constantly in our homes, you know, you think especially of, of Christian homes where the parents have this expectation that their kids are supposed to be godly, you know. They want all their kids to, to be godly and to appear well in front of other people. And so the lying is just constant. We have to be committed to not lying about our sin, but to, be, uh, to speak openly about it and to repent of it. And so, someone who is pure in heart is not lying. He hates deceit. He hates lies in himself most of all, and he's eager to root it out of his home. 
And then uh, later in James, it says, um, Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now, what's causing, what causes someone to be double-minded? In James 4.4, 4, just a few verses before, it says, You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with this world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And so again, bring it back to being pure in heart. The first lie that we tell ourselves is that we can be a friend of this world and a friend to God, but it can't, it can't happen, right? And they have nothing to do with each other. And so we have to hate lying, and we cannot be double-minded. Those who are pure in heart hate lies and are not double-minded, and they shall see God. A man who is pure in heart has been satisfied in God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. A harsh word stirs up anger, but a gentle answer turns away wrath. Do we make for peace? Are we willing to set aside our pride and our position and willingness to be wronged rather than to fight unnecessary battles? And finally, in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all manner, all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, the wicked man fights all kinds of unnecessary battles, right? We, said, we, we, we mentioned earlier... You know, what causes fights and quarrels among you? You know, your passions which, and your lusts, which wage war. And so there's all kinds of fighting where there's people who are owned by their passions and their lusts. And that's the kind of fighting that wicked men and cowards are a part of. They're happy to be a part of that kind of fight. But the coward flees when the real battle comes to him. When it's not about his passions and his desires, but about... God who is in heaven. Are you willing to engage in that kind of conflict? And so, um, as we draw this to an end, there's two final things. One is, you have to be willing to engage in conflict. Um, the first is simply the conflict of the, of the gospel message coming to people who are sinful. You know, when, it, when the gospel came to you, <laughs> it didn't come to someone who was clean right? It doesn't, it never comes to someone who is clean. It comes to a sinner, and, it, and so it totally blows us up. And that's going to be the case for every single person on your block. There is, a, there is a conflict inherent in the gospel that tears us down and, and, and builds God up, glorifies God. And so you have to be willing to, to see that and accept that. But then on top of that, there's simply going to be conflict in your neighborhood. You know, I, I've, um, I'm just thinking, if, if I engage, and I hope to, with this family just down the street, there's likely going to be conflict. You know, I'm not going to be... Um, you know, what I remember distinctly... When I was standing there, I was on the phone with a 911 operator, and the man came out, 
And I'm like thinking, oh my goodness, what is going on? <laughs> you know, he's like walking towards me. And he didn't do anything. Um, it was very likely he was drunk, but uh, he didn't do anything to me. But he, he, he said something like, you know, what's this guy doing on my lawn or something? And, you know, that's just a tiny little thing, but that's the kind of conflict that you're going to run into. Um, and so you just, you know, I, I think that often Christians are surprised by conflict, and we just need to not be so foolish. We need to have our eyes open and realize that conflict will come and not be, not be surprised by it. Um, and then, uh, finally, all of this leads to God being glorified. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. It reminds me of something I read in some C.S. Lewis book, um, I don't remember which one, where he described a woman, I think it was The Great Divorce. Maybe if some of you have read it, you'll recognize this. But um, he describes a woman who uh, was like a mother to all the children in the neighborhood, and they all loved her, right? And but she had this very peculiar ability to make all of those children love their own mothers better. Right? They went back and loved their own mothers better. And that's exactly how Christians ought to be. We aren't self-aggrandizing. This isn't about building the neighborhood to end all neighborhoods, you know, like the best neighborhood association in Bloomington, Indiana, or whatever. Um, we want people to love God, their father, more because of their interaction with us, right? And so uh, it says in 1 Peter 2, again, passage that's been read already, I believe, today. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, Glorify God in the day of visitation. So we want people to be energized for God and have their hearts warmed towards their true Father in heaven. Uh, so I want to end by just talking about a couple other ideas. I want to just, I know we mentioned some already, but I, I'd like to leave you folks with just a few practical ideas about how to engage people on your block. And I want you to give them to me. So we've, we've heard some of them. I like your idea about the rocking chairs, right? That's good. Are there any others? There's, there's uh, throwing a block party, right? There's maybe starting a neighborhood association if there isn't one. What are neighborhood associations for anyway? Does anybody know? What's that? <laughs> okay, yeah, if you live near the university, that's probably what you think. What are some ideas? Taking cookies over to someone, of course, is easy. It's not difficult. It's a good way to greet people. Yeah? I take picture hangers and stuff like that over to new neighbors. Okay. Give them my phone number and tell them if they need something. Okay. Yeah? Help them unload. Help them unload, yeah. That's a big one. Yeah? Help them shovel. 
Yeah, yeah. Okay. There's a whole class of things in that area, right? Shovel driveways, uh, clean gutters, mow lawns. Yep. Go ahead. Yes. That that is underrated. That is key. That's like that's like uh, uh, secret agent man or something like that. <laughs> that makes me think. That's like that's like a secret ingredient. Asking other people to help you is very, very valuable. Putting yourself in somebody else's debt is very great because it really warms them up and opens them up. Yeah? I read a blog post recently that said, ask to borrow an egg. <laughs> okay. Sugar and just, they'll be so taken aback, but yeah. they'll let you have it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they'll talk to you. There you go. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was actually something, um, I don't know, we didn't do all that well. Uh, returning things. I didn't, don't think we did it that quickly. Um, <laughs> that's a problem. But when we had our party, we had lots of people brought cookies and stuff to, and they left dishes and so anyway, sometime in January or February we got it back to them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Of some type of themed event. Uh huh. Around where I live, there are a lot of men that are hunters. Yeah. Yeah. And, there you uh, go. So, <laughs> event, you know, yeah. You grill some meat. I'm sure they'll come. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We've learned a lot about being good neighbors. Okay. are great ideas um, and I hope that we will be eager uh, to try some of them um, I think yes ma'am do you think that it would be neighborly of us to pull down the eight-foot statue of Jesus that our neighbors put up? <laughs> well it would start a conversation I bet <laughs> yeah conflict <laughs> yikes <laughs> Okay, I better not say anything on tape here. Um, eh. Yes, ma'am. We have both a playground and a swimming pool in our neighborhood, which are not places that Keith and I tend to frequent. Yeah, yeah. But maybe we should. Yeah, you can meet people. I've heard that people meet, talk to other people in the hot tub, right? He's <laughs> 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 always trying to read. Yeah, 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 yeah. Talk <laughs> yeah. He talked about 
jokingly talked about writing a book called Hot Tub Conversations. Yeah, I think he's mentioned that to me. Michael goes to the wire, did in the past, and sit in the hot tub, and he just ends up talking to people. Which is really hard to believe with Michael, you know. <laughs> well, the thing I, so um, as we leave, I, I just want to reemphasize the point um, that we believe in families, and that's great, but we need to not be careless and not uh, and, and actually love our neighbors and think about them and and be intentional create opportunities to talk to them and uh, trust God with the fruit so let's do that let's pray now as we close this has been a production of clear note press please feel free to share this recording with others but do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission for more resources like this Go to clearnotfellowship.org.